0: Hello, everyone. I'm Kimberly Payton-Jones. Thank you for listening to Southern Lawyer, where we bring you real stories from real lawyers. Today, we are talking to Matt Starosiak, an attorney who runs the business Proven Law Marketing. Matt is going to share with us some best practices about marketing your law practice and what the future of marketing for law practices holds. Hi, Matt. Thank you for being on today. I appreciate you.
1: Hey, Kimberly. Great to be with you. I appreciate the opportunity to visit with you again.
0: Great. So today we're talking about legal marketing. And I guess first, I just wanted to start off by asking you what you think in today's world some of the best marketing practices are for law firms.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, there's a number of very important ones and then probably a number of ancillary ones that aren't as important but good to have in your arsenal. You know, I'm spending a lot of time these days on intake, believe it or not, and I think that surprises a lot of firms, but I think the new client intake process at many firms leaves a lot to be desired. Talking a lot about online marketing and what are the true opportunities there these days, I think that has changed dramatically, especially for small law firms who were able to get in on SEO and PPC in the early days, that opportunity I don't think is as great as it used to be. So I spend a lot of time there and then also spend a lot of time on online reviews. I think that's an area of marketing for all businesses, but especially for law firms that's exploding and kind of rot with perils. If you're not handling and managing that process correctly.
0: All right. So why don't we talk with intake then? What are some of the things that you see people are doing incorrectly?
1: Yeah, there's a number of them, really, but uh, I think speed of response would probably be at the very top of the list. And I think the more successful a law firm, the more established the law firm is in their business, the harder it is for them to understand how quickly they need to respond to new business inquiries these days. In other words, if you're a lawyer who's been practicing 25 or 30 years, all of your business 25 or 30 years ago came from referrals, It came from word of mouth. And the reality is you don't have to be real excellent, I guess, or real skilled at intake to convert those types of leads. But these days, a lot of firms are generating their business through online marketing, or maybe it's even more of a branding strategy locally, or maybe they're even buying leads. But those types of marketing sources dictate or require A much faster response time to clients so to prospective clients so I think speed of response is a big one I think the other is the way that staff uh, views the new business process and how necessary it is I think a lot of staff members who handle new business inquiries either via phone or via email They don't really look at their lawyers as needing new business I know that sounds kind of strange but I think most intake folks whether they're a paralegal or a legal assistant feel like their lawyers have plenty of business and so I think there's a big disconnect a lot of times between what the lawyers feel and the intake personnel feels and that uh, that disconnect can can really do a job on the intake process and and frankly waste a lot of money for firms so
0: what are you seeing that is working for people in terms of improving the intake process?
1: Yeah, I think staff training is the number one thing. And, and I think there's a couple areas to focus on. One is make sure the staff understands the importance of it. In other words, make sure your staff doesn't look at, at your, your fancy car and your big house and your awesome vacations and your kids going to private school as an indicator that you don't need new business. Because in many cases that is what they see and it affects how they handle that new business call, what type of urgency they put toward it and how important it is to the firm. So I think staff training is a big thing. And then obviously, you know, there's the outlook part of staff training, and then there's the actual practical application of it. So how do they communicate with the client on the phone? What information do they take? Where do they send that lead to, depending on how the screening questions are answered? So there's kind of the practical aspects and, then, and the philosophical ones, I guess, for lack of a better word, as part of the, the intake process. But I think staff training probably is at the top. And then I think tracking would be a close second. So you have to track where your business is coming from in order to make educated decisions about where to spend your marketing dollars. So if I, could, if I could do two things that most of the firms I work with, it's improve the staff performance when it comes to intake and improve the tracking.
0: Wow. And it's interesting that you say that because you would think that staff would have some thoughts about job security, so want to bring in new clients. But I guess you're right. If they're seeing sort of the accoutrements of what they feel like is a successful practice, they may not understand the importance of continuing to bring in new business.
1: I think that's right, Kimberly. And and I do think there is some level a staff person realizes, well, hey, if there's no new business coming into the firm, I'm probably not going to be able to get a paycheck six months or a year from now. But I don't think that's necessarily at the forefront of their mind. I think what's at the forefront of their mind is, My paycheck this week or this month is not going to change depending on how I handle the next new business phone call that comes in. Long-term, it may. But I think a lot of folks are short-sighted. I know I tend to be that way in in my own business. And I think the the second thing is many intake folks share or have shared responsibilities. So if, if their boss, the lawyer, is saying, I need these interrogatory responses out today, that is going to take precedent over the new business client that calls in, who's who's not, you know, who you owe nothing to. They're not a client at this point, so I think you have to be careful what demands you put on those folks. But I think your point's well made, which is at some level they have to think, well, there has to be new business for for me to continue to be employed. But their their immediate mindset when that phone rings or when that email dings with a new lead can oftentimes be very different.
0: You know, it, that's an interesting concept because I think that. Some of it is, as you mentioned, training and having your staff have a greater understanding of business and the business cycle beyond just what is the priority on their desk at the moment because I know from sales you always want to have your leads and you want to have a pipeline that ensures that you have business you know a month, two months, three months, six months down down the road. So is that something that you incorporate in your staff training or advise people to incorporate?
1: I think the most important thing is you have to make sure that your staff has time to handle the new business that leads effectively. And for some firms, that means a dedicated intake person or people. I mean, my best firms that do intake most effectively have you know one or two people, and their sole responsibility is to help bring in new business. Not every firm has that luxury, right? Not every firm can afford, and maybe even if they could afford, they don't have the demand. You know, to implement or to hire a person full time just to do intake. But I think you have to be very careful and watch the shared responsibilities between your intake people and make sure that they're not being pulled in too many different directions.
0: Right. Okay, so you mentioned something that kind of resonated with me when you mentioned online marketing and saying that it may not provide the opportunity that it has has provided in the past. So how important is online marketing and what changes have you seen in the online marketing landscape?
1: Yeah, for sure. I uh, I think the most important thing is having a polished online resume. So I think regardless of how many raw dollars you spend on your online marketing effort, you have to have a great online resume. And by that, I simply mean, what does somebody see when they Google your name? I think it's incredibly important, and that would be your website bio, media coverage, online reviews, awards, press releases, anything like that. That has to be really perfect these days, in my opinion, whether you work entirely on word-of-mouth business or generate your business through word-of-mouth or whether you generate it all blind through pay-per-click. I think that's the number one most important thing. And then the second thing then for online marketing is is what are your opportunities you know, what realistically can you generate from the web in maybe any any different way, but what can you really generate effectively with your dollars? And I think that discussion has changed an awful lot over the last ten years, especially for small firms, and I think it will continue to do so. And specifically what I would say are things like SEO and PPC those were fantastic strategies for small firms with relatively small budgets five or ten years ago. Those two strategies have dried up considerably, and in my opinion, I think they're going to be dead to most small law firms in the next five years. I mean, everything seems to be going that way. And I know I'm not making any friends with, with our SEO vendors, who many of which I like, not making any friends by saying that, but I do think that's the reality of it.
0: Interesting. So, we'll talk about the online resume, because I've actually had this experience where I've been shot. I, uh, For example, I had a speaking engagement, and someone asked me to send her my bio, and I guess I was l- late and delayed, and then she sent me a bio that she pulled from my website. I was like, okay, it's, it's okay to use this. And I'm like, where'd you get that? And I'm like, oh, she found my website. I didn't give it to her, but she found it. And then I was doing an interview with someone else, and he said... Oh, I was, you know, so, not to toot my own horn, he's like, I was so impressed by everything I saw on you on Google. You had like two or three pages. And I was like, I do? This was just yesterday. <laughs> I was like, I do? And then I went and Googled and I'm like, what is out there? Or even I've had clients who tried to, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. And I'm like, hey, you're a client. Why are you trying to connect with me on LinkedIn? But people are finding what is out there. So how do you, what do you recommend people do to make sure everything looks good out there?
1: Yeah, monitor it. Monitor and update it like crazy and try to control that first page of Google. So so any business person, whether they have their own law firm and they're a solo practitioner or they work for, you know, a Fortune 500 company, in my opinion, ought to be controlling the information to the best of their ability that's out there online. Because what does everybody do? as soon as somebody gets introduced to somebody who they're considering doing business with or whatever they go in and they google the person's name i mean that's just what you do these days and then on top of that you you know everybody starts drawing conclusions immediately from the information they see and the way we process information these days is so fast, right? I mean, we, we get an incredible amount of information thrown at us on a daily basis. So, so when I'm looking down that first page at the person I just Googled, I'm making judgment after judgment almost instantly. And so for the business person, whether it's a lawyer or a doctor or somebody else, you have to have that information very tight. And the only way to keep it that way, because it's ever-changing, is to monitor it. Monitor it and try to control the first page. Um, you know, in a perfect world, somebody Googles you and they and they see what they saw for you, which is a, a ton of really great information. But obviously that's not always the case. Folks get negative reviews. Folks have a case that they lost that's covered in the media. You know, maybe somebody got arrested for DUI and their mugshot is showing on, on the first page of Google. I've had that happen with some lawyer clients that I've worked with in the past. So you, just, you have to be monitoring it all the time, cleaning it up, and, and that all starts with recognizing the importance of it.
0: So let's look about this SEO, PPC issue. So you're saying that it's drying up and you expect it to be dead. So what do people do if that's no longer a viable option? Or what are some alternatives?
1: Yeah, I think, well, I, and let me say this. I, I think it's dead or dying quickly for small firms in competitive geographies and competitive practice areas. Small budget firms, I should say. So, you know, if you do something that's a real nuanced practice area, a real niche practice area, let's say you represent doctors who are in jeopardy, you know, their license is in jeopardy. You know, they skim drugs or they've had an inappropriate relationship. If that's your practice area, you probably still have a pretty good opportunity to bring business in off the web, okay, either through SEO or PPC. But conversely, let's say that you're a DUI lawyer in a major market like in Atlanta or Houston, and you're trying to bring in business off the web, very difficult for you to do that. Why? Because there's firms out there that are spending a lot of money. And so it becomes very difficult to compete in SEO and in PPC. And the effectiveness of something like SEO, I think, has dropped just simply because of what Google has done with the search results page. But I think your question was what are the other options. I think there are some. You can leverage the power of other entities' rankings online, so let's say you went to the lawyer directories, finlaw, lawyers.com, avo super lawyers, law info, and you went to them and you leveraged their ability to get rankings, which typically is pretty good. You can drive internet business to your firm that way. And then a lot of firms are buying leads. So they're buying web-based leads, but instead of generating them through their own SEO and PPC efforts, they're paying another another entity to develop those leads and send them to send it to them for a price.
0: And then that's when you got to have a quick response and staff that knows how to handle intake calls?
1: Incredibly fast, especially if that lead is getting sent to multiple law firms, which is the business model for some companies. So some companies will develop one lead, send it out to four different law firms instantaneously, and then it's a race. And you would say, you know, a lot of people would say, well, there's no way I would ever buy that. There's no way I would ever buy a lead that's being sent out to other firms. Well, if you had a really great intake team, that was trained to, to pick up the phone literally when that email lead came in, it could be a very, very successful program for you. And I have that at some of my clients. In others, I would never recommend that model because their intake is, is not fast. So, so I think understanding what your capabilities are internally will dictate you know, where you spend your marketing dollars in the end and how effective they'll be.
0: Wow. That's just interesting. I'm just thinking because I would imagine you just have to really come up with a strong strategy if you're going to do that, say, you know, I'm going to have lead between X hours and X hour and just kind of really kind of have a target laser focus on that to make that successful.
1: And yeah, there's a lot of considerations that go into it that that, you know, the average lawyer might not be trained in. So, you know, analyzing your internal capabilities is not something that typically is on the forefront of a lawyer's to-do list, and they may not be that effective at doing it in other words, you know, analyzing how good my intake is and are they good enough to make this marketing investment successful. I mean, those are difficult things for a law firm to to one commit time to do and then just have the knowledge to do it. But I think it's critical because the market is tightening. I mean, yeah, there's no silver bullet. There's no way to to outsmart everybody else these days. So right. I mean, well, I mean, a what there is, But there's not many opportunities to do that.
0: I'm sorry for speaking over you, but I was thinking. So, what about traditional, old-fashioned marketing? And people, I still see it. Like when people have billboards, they have stuff on the bus, and I always question it because I know when I'm driving, I'm like, I'm not thinking about. Oh, let me hurry up and put this number in my phone or something to call this lawyer. What do you think about those sorts of marketing tools?
1: Yeah, I used to think they were a complete waste of time, but they're some of my favorite strategies these days. You know, I, really? and, I, and I think some of it is just it's it's the default now. It's what you kind of have to go back to. You know, if if you're a p if you're a small PI lawyer in Los Angeles, you're going to have a really hard time competing on the internet unless you just have a massive budget. It's going to be very hard to do. So then, what are you left with? Well, you're left with more traditional options, and maybe it is billboards. Or maybe it's some other kind of branding strategy. I like branding strategies. I think you have to be careful in a couple areas. You know One is how big is your market? You know, trying to brand in a major metropolitan area with a small budget is nearly impossible. But if you're out on the outskirts of a major market, let's say you're 40 miles you know outside of Las Vegas, you might have an easier time implementing a successful branding strategy and then i think the other half of that is you have to be patient and i think a lot of lawyers are spoiled from the internet where they used to spend a dollar and shortly thereafter the return on investment would come in you know if you start to go a billboards route or a radio campaign or or you start hanging banners around the high school football fields that can be very effective marketing but it's not going to be an instantaneous return so it just means your expectation has to be aligned with your strategy. But I have some firms on the outskirts of major metro areas that have gone very heavy on branding, and it's been shockingly successful, really, and a lot of fun, actually, too, to do those kind of programs.
0: So what I'm hearing is move to the boondocks so you can have more success. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I've, you know what? I would say, yeah, that is true. I would absolutely say that is true because Ooh. it's so hard to compete these days in a major metro area as a small firm. you know. Now, if you're a big firm, or like I said, if you do something really unique, or if you just have a lot of money, then you're going to be all right. You're always going to be all right. But yeah, if you're a small firm with a $5,000 a month marketing budget, my recommendation would be to look carefully at moving away from a major metro so you can stretch that marketing budget a little bit further.
0: Yeah, I, you I know, had an attorney whose office was in the same building where I was, and he had an Atlanta office, but then he also had a Dahlonega office, which I thought was odd, but now hearing what you were saying, it, it kind of makes sense. And he did a lot of marketing on Instagram, which really kind of confounded me, because I'm like, how do you market on Instagram? So th- that being said, do you recommend other s- social media sites as a way to market?
1: I'm not a huge fan of social media marketing for law firms. and I actually wrote a blog about six years ago where I predicted that Facebook would be incredibly important for law firms you know five years later. And Of course, we're six years later and and I just don't think it's that important. I think there's some inherent challenges to to marketing a law firm on social media. it's It's a lot different than marketing a pizza shop. You know, or a coffee shop where you can do different kind of fun things. I think there's some inherent challenges because of the nature of the business to effectively using social media. And, and to be honest with you, I've implemented a number of social media marketing plans at firms, both myself and with third-party vendors who, who made large promises, and I, I just haven't seen the results. I, I see a lot of traffic, and I see a lot of clicks, and I see a lot of impressions, but I don't see a lot of revenue generated. And, and like I said before, I think most lawyers are a bit impatient. You know, they want to spend and see the return. And so I, I'm certain there are firms out there that are, are using Instagram and Facebook and Twitter with great success. But my experience, which is really over a lot of years and with a lot of different firms and a lot of different practice areas and geos, I haven't seen it. So I would put social media down the list of opportunities at this point, personally.
0: You know, I actually am inclined to agree with you. I know this particular attorney, he somehow makes it work. He's a personal injury attorney, and I don't know if he just has a very niche audience that he's going after. And he does, but I know when I'm on Facebook or scrolling Instagram or Twitter, I am not looking for professional services. I'm just not. So, um I, I'm inclined to agree with you, but you know, I guess there's room for different approaches.
1: Yeah, and I think you know maybe if you can mix the two. You know, I do the same thing. If I, I'm not much of a social media user, but uh, you know, if I'm scrolling through a Facebook page, I'm looking for things to take me away from normal business activities. <laughs> you know, I'm looking for a break from it. I'm not looking to to become educated when I'm on you know that platform. But uh, but I did read an article recently about a law firm that dealt with equestrian law, you know, which is kind of a, a very, very niche area. You know, if you, if you work with folks that own stables and own horses and maybe they raise horses or, or race horses, you know, that's a very niche area. And, and they were kind of touting their success on, on Facebook because they got wrapped into some of these groups. Well, mm-hmm. you know, I certainly could see how that would work. You know, if you have a really, really specific practice area that almost nobody does, you might have great success becoming active on Facebook or Twitter and make connections with those folks. But, you know, that's really, Kimberly, the exception. You know, it's, it's the exception to find a practice area like that. And most of the lawyers I deal with are competing for, you know, criminal defense, divorce, business litigation, you know, employment. They're, they're dealing in those areas, and I just don't think the opportunities are as great.
0: Yeah, and you know, I, like you say, the return, just to get so involved in groups and be out there, the amount of time that you would have to invest to get you know whatever leads you get off of it, would probably seem prohibitive when you could be using that time to do something else, unless you have someone else who just goes on and invests in social media, which again goes back to budget.
1: Well, you bring up a fantastic point, which is to do social media effectively, the lawyer has to be doing it. And it takes an incredible amount of time. And there's a lot of firms that have said, well, I'm just going to hire a a law school intern or a college intern. It isn't the same. It isn't the same. And and the other problem you have with that is is a lot of times those folks will post something that they shouldn't post. (laughs) And so then you have all kinds of problems after that because they're posting as the lawyer or as a firm representative, and they've now said something they shouldn't say. So if a lawyer wants to go down that route, I think you're exactly right. They need to prepare to spend a lot of time on it and and really be involved personally as opposed to delegating.
0: Which brings me to my next thing I wanted to ask you about because you talked about somebody posting something they're not supposed to post and I guess the collateral fallout from that. So let's talk about online reviews and the benefit and pitfalls associated with them.
1: Yeah, they're a toughie these days. I mean, online reputation and specifically the online review component of that is really, really difficult for a lot of reasons. You know, and I'll name a couple of them, I guess, as a as a launching point for the discussion. But, you know, one is lawyers tend not to like to ask clients to write reviews. Many lawyers don't feel comfortable making the request, and I get that clients are very apprehensive about writing reviews for lawyers for a number of different reasons some of it is they don't want their business online oftentimes they're not happy with their lawyer even if the result is objectively very good you know they're they're not happy with the probation as opposed to the 5 year sentence even though it's objectively a great result so i think you have you have a number of pressures pushing against that online review situation and then the biggest of which is you have folks that are happy to write a negative review. So so the folks out there that want to talk negatively tend to do that pretty freely. The folks that lawyers feel comfortable with asking for a positive review oftentimes, you know, aren't responsive. So it's a little bit of a quandary for the average law firm and I think what it what it turns into are, you know, is a very low number of online reviews for most firms. And oftentimes, a couple negative reviews that tend to dominate, you know, their their Google Business page, or or maybe their Lawyers. dot com profile, or their Yelp listing, or something like that. But it's it's a very tough, I think, thing to manage these days, but a necessity.
0: You know, you're right because I had gotten some plumbing work done at my house not long ago, and the plumbing company they were like, we love or they sent me an email. I guess it's automated. We love reviews. Can you write us a review? And I actually wasn't happy with them, so. I wrote a review. It wasn't horrible, but just kind of average. And then they were they followed up and were like, "Yo, we're uh, we're sorry, you're unhappy. We, we help you." But I would imagine most law firms just don't have the time for that.
1: Yeah, and I think you got to be careful how you follow up. I mean, I'm an advocate of not responding to negative reviews. My my advice is don't respond. And I know I'm in the minority. You know, most lawyers want to respond, and most I think marketing professionals would say, respond to them. I'm a big fan of not responding to them for a lot of different reasons, but it doesn't change the fact that if somebody wants to say something negative about your business, it's easy to do. And keep in mind, too, that they don't necessarily have to be a client. Let's say they called your firm to talk about their issue and you politely declined the opportunity to do that because you don't handle that type of case. There's really nothing stopping that person from going online and saying, you know, I don't like the way this person handled my my call. And oftentimes that review stays. You can request that it be removed, but the review sites are very reluctant to to remove negative reviews. So so my recommendation to to law firms is to make sure you're populating your uh, major profiles online with positive reviews, and if you're not comfortable doing that, you ca- you have to kind of find a way to become comfortable doing it, at least to get your your online profile to the point where they look good. You know, maybe it's maybe all you need is five reviews to really do that. But I know
0: um, Matt. I have to say, I I know I would feel uncomfortable going to a client and say, Hey, do you mind? I mean, when I leave the bank, and like, If we get a survey, it drives me crazy. So, as an attorney, you kind of feel like, oh, it's kind of cheesy to ask your client to write you a review, right? So how do you get over that?
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's hard. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm the same way. I, I tend not to, I don't have a massive amount of online reviews, and, um, you know, and I don't think it's because people wouldn't write them for me. I think I just, you know, I'm like everybody else. I don't really want to bother somebody. I, You know, I don't want somebody to feel obligated. It just, you know, but I think the answer, Kimberly, unfortunately, is, you know, I don't know how to say this nicely, but too bad. You have to do it. Because the alternative is you don't get comfortable with it. And what happens is you get a negative review. And now you have, you know, three reviews and one of them is a is a real negative one. And and it can it can just you know, it can have a devastating effect on your business depending on what type of law you practice. So, I, I don't know. I wish there was an easy answer for that issue. But we're kind of like the Wild West of Internet reviews right now, where anybody can say anything they want with very little consequences. And I think you just have to get comfortable doing it. I, I don't know. I. I think it's going to be a big industry. I can tell you that I think it's going to be reputation management is going to continue to be a very big industry for businesses, including law firms over the next five or ten years.
0: yeah you know, I think I'm hearing somewhat of an ongoing theme, and that's really that you know law lawyers and law firms just have to get more comfortable with the whole idea of sales and marketing, particularly as some of these tools become less effective, you know, because when you go, you know, I I remember being in law school and people will be like, oh my God, look at the cheesy billboard. But when you get on the other side, you're like, you know what, maybe I got to get a big billboard if that means that that's going to bring me clients in. Or maybe I have to go ahead and feel a little bit like a a salesman and say, hey, do you mind writing a review for me if that means that's going to make my online reputation better.
1: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. The things that you that lawyers didn't have to worry about, uh, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, maybe even 15 years ago, they're forced, they're confronted with it these days. And and many of them don't like it, and they, I don't blame them. You know, they want to practice law. That's what they went to law school for. But you just can't. I mean, we're in, a, we're in a day and age where information flows. And so that lawyer that I talked about earlier who's been practicing 25 years ago, has been practicing for 25 years, they don't have to worry. They didn't have to worry about online reviews when they were practicing before. If they had an unhappy client, nobody ever knew about it. Or maybe a few people knew about it, but it certainly wasn't out there for every prospective client to see You know, years into the future. So it just, it's a different world we live in. It's hard for a lot of us. You know, My age, I'm 46. It's hard for a lot of us who, who grew up when there was no Internet and really barely computers. It, it's very hard. You know, I think future generations, it'll be easier because they're just used to it. But, but, for those of us that have gone through the transition from no internet to the wild west it's it's very challenging and I think the answer is you have to get help doing it. You have to educate yourself about what you need to do as a law firm, and you need to get help where you can get help from qualified people it's just like running any other business there are certain things you're you're going to need help with and and I think reputation management online marketing those are those are some of the top ones for law firms these days.
0: I know when you were talking about that, I remember you know, back in the day when it would just be each one go to the Yellow Pages, and there's no reviews in there. You're just scrolling the page looking for an attorney or whoever to help you, and all you saw was a number, and who could get the biggest spot in the Yellow Pages.
1: Which, and it really wasn't that long ago. Right. You know, it really wasn't... I mean, I graduated from law school in 98, mm-hmm. and I think... My third year was the first time I had sent an email, and, and maybe I, I think I was behind the times a little because students had been communicating, but I, I think maybe 97 or 98 was the first time I had ever sent an email, yeah. and the internet really was just kind of starting. People were starting to put their domain names on their commercials, you know, like you'd see a Coca-Cola commercial, and they'd have a their domain there, and you'd be like, what the heck is that? Mm-hmm. So I mean, really, we're not talking about that long ago, 20 years, you know, 21 years. But, no, but you're right. Changed.
0: You're right. You're right. Because I remember when people would just, if you were a, a net user, you were kind of cutting edge. Yeah, yeah. People were like, what are you doing on there? <laughs>
1: Yeah, and remember how slow it used to be too. I mean, it used yeah. to be so painfully slow for pages to load, and now, you know, now we're FaceTiming. So it's different. And and I think you know sometimes I come across as the bear of bad news and kind of gloom and doom. I think there's still wonderful opportunities for law firms to market their business and be successful. I really do believe that. And I, you know, I love my job because I get to help firms do it. But you have to do the right things these days. I, I just don't think you can get by unless you're doing the right thing. So you have to embrace it. You, know, you have yeah. to embrace it or, or just you know, find something else that makes you happy. But it's, it's a necessary component of it these days for sure.
0: But I also see you know, how it's almost like a pendulum where you know, we talk about how SEO and uh, PPC were so big, and then the pendulum is kind of swinging back the other way where we're going back to at least including some more traditional marketing. Approaches, And it may be, you know, something else will develop online that works for people again.
1: I think that's true. I think it's possible. It's funny you say that. I had a conversation with a client just last night, and he said, do you think the SEO pendulum will swing back? He said, you know, everything is moving towards paid advertising on the search engines right now. He said, do you think organic SEO will come back? And I said, I really don't. I don't. And And here's why. You know, Google's interested in two things. One, making money, and God bless them. I don't blame them for that. And the second is is delivering relevant results. You know, their thing is we want to deliver relevant results. Well, what result is more relevant than a person willing to pay $200 for a click? I mean, in other words, nobody would pay $200 for a click off of the search results page unless that search was really relevant to what they selling. Yeah. And so you could almost argue that paid advertisers are much more relevant because they're, they're willing to pony up the money. So I, I don't think things are going to swing back that way on SEO, but I absolutely think you're right in terms of traditional marketing. I think that traditional marketing will begin to, to kind of get life breathed back into it, mm-hmm. and I think there will be some good opportunities for firms that embrace it.
0: Well, speaking of traditional marketing, let's talk about your book.
1: I love that topic. <laughs>
0: so i uh, tell us about your book matt
1: i wish i had a better little elevator pitch for my book but i don't i really need to develop You've got
0: to Mark. you work on your marketing more you got to uh, no, work on your marketing i know you know leadership. i'm one of
1: those folks that kind of do as i say and, and don't <laughs> take my own advice but I, I love the book and everybody frankly that's read it has thought it's been really good including I think the me re- pardon me including me yeah, well, thank you, Kim. I appreciate that, and I appreciate the review you wrote for me. You know, I think what people like about the book is it's, it's stories. You know, it's 300 pages in hardbound, and it's just story after story of law firms doing the very best things when it comes to marketing and the very worst things. So it's a super easy read. But it's got a lot of substance to it as well. So I even go as far as evaluating specific products in the book. And that's kind of sandwiched between these stories about intake and about online reviews and about handling negative reviews and setting up your office and training your staff. But, but every one of those topics is approached from a short story. It might be two or three pages. And now so I think a lot book? of folks – I'm sorry?
0: What's the name of the book?
1: It's called The Lawyer Marketing Book. Yep, called The Lawyer Marketing Book. I'm probably going to revise it here, maybe this year, the end of this year. I published it in late 2017, so still, you know, very current. I think most of the topics still very current. And uh, it's available on Amazon. It's also available uh, through PayPal, and you can get to that through my website, which is thelawyermarketingbook.com.
0: Well, great. And, Matt, how else can people reach out to you?
1: Yeah, my website is provenlawmarketing.com, so provenlawmarketing.com. If you go to that site, you'll see my direct email and my direct phone number, and folks can contact me through either one of those mechanisms if they have a question or want to bounce an idea off or or disagree with something I've said. I'm always open to another side of the story.
0: Well, great. So we got provenlawmarketing.com and the lawyer marketing Book.
1: That's it. Dot com.
0: Dot com. Great. Well, Matt, thank you so much for being with me again today. I always appreciate talking to you and always your insight.
1: Kimberly, it's been great fun. I hope you have me back. I certainly will. Thanks. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Matt, for speaking with me today. And thank you all for listening. This is Kimberly Peyton Jones of Southern Lawyer, where we bring you real stories from real lawyers.